Hello, and welcome to the Hearn Him Podcast. I'm Dale. And I am Tamara. And when two theologians get married, what you get is a podcast. I was about to say <laughs> I, your line you, for you. Well, because like you forgot your name for a second. No, I didn't. You like stuttered. You're like, I am, who am I? I mean, pregnancy brain. I don't even know my name <laughs> anymore. Like pregnancy brain or it's like an existential crisis. Who knows? Um, The fact that I am who I am, it could be either one of those things. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, we are not doing what we had planned on doing today, which is clean up our backyard and do some yard work. Oh, no. I'm yeah. so sad. Because our backyard looks like a ghost town right now. And now that Halloween's over, we thought like, hey, maybe we should freshen that up. Yeah. And we had some pretty bad winds come through. So it also looks like an abandoned backyard oh yeah it's got like tree limbs and i think like the neighbor's cat came over into the yard <laughs> there's a lot of trash back there silas was back there the other day and he had a water bottle and i was like we don't have water bottles so i don't understand how you got this oh no that's not ours please get it out of your mouth I mean, that's pretty much the daily situation. With, right. Like, what, it's just the, the stages of like, oh, there's my son. He looks so cute. And that's like, oh, what's in his mouth? Oh, it's something horrifying. Please give that to me. Yeah. Someone else's water bottle that flew in from the winds is now in my son's mouth. Fantastic. Right. But the reason why we are not out there right now is because it is pouring rain. So if you hear a little pitter-patter in the background of this recording. It's sound effects. Look at me. I'm getting yeah. better. <laughs> getting better at editing. I can add in sound effects. Right. It is. It was actually hailing earlier, so we're not going outside today. But on today's topic, I wanted to give a bit of a metaphor of what today's topic is like. So imagine I was standing out in our courtyard, and I was smiling as I was standing in the torrential downpour of rain and hail and I had my arms stretched out wide, and I say, praise God when he brings sunshine. This is really hard to imagine at all, like you standing outside with your arms out in general. But this feels a little ridiculous. It does, and that's kind of the point of the metaphor, which I feel like is apt when we are describing the kind of behavior that many people engage in all the time, and it's something called toxic positivity. This is a very interesting topic, and I remember when you and I started talking about it a while ago, I had never heard of this phrase before, but that's probably because I'm not online and Googling things and on social media the way you are, so you're far more aware of current things and terminologies than I am. But I was actually really interested to hear <laughs> what it even meant to like be toxically positive. Yeah, I actually wrote a blog post, I think about four or five months ago, and it was called Why Christians Should Avoid the Trap of Toxic Positivity. And whenever we write a blog, the only one reads it to edit it. And you read it and you said, this is a great blog. I don't think anybody's going to read it, but... I think it was great. <laughs> I, it's and true. Then, I'll admit, I was very negative. <laughs> I mean, because there's a lot of blog topics that I come up with that are interesting, but only if you're interested in them. Well, and I think it's because the way that your mind works is you like to dive deep into controversial issues. And sometimes I feel like you have a lot of soapboxes that you stand on and like 
start preaching from them, which is great because I am always educated when you're on your soapboxes. But I just fear sometimes they won't connect with everyone. And this was one of those things I had never even heard of. And I just thought it wouldn't connect. And um, I am admitting in this moment that I was incredibly wrong because it is one of our most viewed blogs in the last few months. So great job. Right. You're an amazing writer. So we decided to turn it into a podcast. Yeah. And to talk about it with our voices and not just with our fingers typing on a keyboard. Yes. Yeah. So what is toxic positivity? It sounds like an oxymoron. How can it be toxic if it's positive? And how could something positive be toxic? So we have a few definitions that we want to share just kind of from a smattering of online sources of what is toxic positivity. Yeah, and I think it's important to define it because, I mean, maybe you already know about it and I am just living under a rock as normal, but I had no idea what it was until I read Dale's blog and I have certainly seen it come out more and more in the last few months. Like Dale said, there's a few definitions. One is this insincere positivity that actually leads to harm or needless suffering or even just misunderstanding. Yeah. So, and it's the the key word there is insincere. Another uh, definition is the assumption, either by oneself or others, that despite a person's emotional pain or difficult situation, they should only have a positive mindset. And the last one that I think is helpful as we're getting into defining this is the excessive and ineffective overgeneralization of a happy, optimistic state across all situations. So, That just is this idea that no matter what happens, I'm always going to be happy and I'm always going to be joyful. And that sometimes feels a little tone deaf to actually what's happening around you. Yeah. So this can take on a lot of forms, both for the individual as well as for institutions. And we want to have this conversation within the context of followers of Jesus, within the context of church. Um, But just some general ways that you see this kind of toxic positivity come up is in the things that we say. And a lot of times if you're engaging in toxic positivity, you're not saying things that are false necessarily. They're just a little bit out of context. They may be partially true or even completely true, but just not helpful to that situation. And so some examples of that would be like, don't worry about it. Stay positive. I mean, that's good advice, but sometimes it's not quite apt to the situation everything will work out the way it's supposed to or it could be worse or positive vibes only and kind of christian examples of this would include saying things like this too shall pass you know like for the longest time i thought that was actually like a bible verse it's not like i looked i tried to find it one time it's not in there i remember i was in college like i always hear pastors and preachers and bible study leaders say this too shall pass where does that show up in the bible i had the hardest time I could not find it. I wonder why. Maybe because <laughs> it doesn't exist. For sure not in there. <laughs> uh, how about this one? Jesus tells us that we shouldn't worry. Why are you worrying? Jesus told us not to. It's a sin to worry. Ooh. Yeah. And it's that simple. Yeah. Just stop worrying. Jesus said don't do it, so don't do it. This one is apt because we just found out who the president is going to be. But And this is this is one that's true, but sometimes it's said in a in a tone, in a context that is disconnected from the reality of whatever a person is going through in that moment. Whoever is elected president, Jesus is still king. 
and that's like it's true and it's important and it can help frame your understanding but sometimes we can weaponize a term like that mm. to minimize somebody else's feelings yeah and to not actually deal with what that person is saying sometimes i think these become blanket statements that we throw over conversations because we don't want to engage in conversations Right. And so it's a dismissive kind of a thing. Another one would be when Jesus died on the cross, he showed us that all lives matter. And yes, that is the central message of the gospel. But the the verbiage of that statement and the context of that statement and the way it's said can often be toxic because it's often said in rebuttal to say black lives matter. And right. so it, it becomes, it's like this thing that's positive or supposed to sound positive, but it's actually toxic. And the reason why it's toxic is because, at, you know, at, at best it's creating the sense of cognitive dissonance. It's kind of gaslighting whoever you're talking to that making them question their reality or question the, the realness or the validity of the way that they feel. And at worst, it's just highly dismissive of people's experiences and it can even be like super offensive. Yeah, and I think as the American church we do this really well because we we know the message of Jesus is good news, like that's what gospel means, good news. And so we want that to be the case in every conversation in terms of how do I make this a happy and positive conversation? But that's not what we see in scripture. We see the good news of Jesus, but the good news of Jesus enters into the difficulties. It enters into the wounds and the pain and it enters into the damage of sin. And out of those things, it brings redemption and restoration, but it first has to step into those things. And I think the issue with toxic positivity is it doesn't step into anything. And in a lot of the times, it does far more harm than it does good. And it probably even pushes people away from Jesus, even though I think the intention is to bring them closer. Yeah. And I think the unfortunate truth is that uh, the American church, and probably more specifically, the kind of majority culture, suburban American church, you know, it's a church I kind of grew up in and churches that I've been involved in. And so I'm not speaking about any one church, but kind of a general sense of the American majority culture, suburban church. We could teach a master class in toxic positivity uh, because it's just, it's ingrained at kind of every level that we are always positive, even when maybe we shouldn't be, or it's, it's maybe not appropriate to be. And even just look at the way we structure our Sunday services where Every song is happy and upbeat and in major keys. We plaster inspirational quotes and Bible verses on everything. Uh, we don't like to talk about uncomfortable things like politics and race and social issues. And we just really try to give off this impression that everything is good all the time uh, because of Jesus. And you slap Jesus' name on there. And because you did that, now you spiritualized it. And this is the way it is. But uh, it's it's still causing this damage that uh, we're we're not intending to but is often a byproduct of refusing to step into pain. And of course, it's just good leadership that you want a culture in your organization, in your church, 
that is positive, that is hopeful, that is optimistic. You don't like nobody plants a church and wants a pessimistic, negative, morose, depressed culture or vibe to be the the vibe of their church or you don't want that to be the vibe of your home or of your life. And we've all been around those people and they're not fun to be around. But still there's this there's this balance here. And so there's a couple of reasons why toxic positivity as we're defining it is quite troubling. One of the major ways it's troubling is because it's usually a trauma response. It's not a sincere and genuine response. It's kind of like this defense mechanism back to whatever the conversation is leading you down. Yeah, so we definitely want to be empathetic of that. That that toxic positivity is often a response to some kind of trauma or some kind of false belief that being sad or depressed or discouraged or pissed is somehow making you a less spiritual person that negative emotions are simply negative and we kind of tap into the more kind of victorian sensibilities of whatever cultural lineage we have and it's this response that anything negative must be quelled or squashed or ignored or cover it and be ashamed of it and that's just not being true to the human experience And I think the other reason why it's so troubling is that for Christians, toxic positivity will cause us to ignore important problems and issues that the church should be meaningfully involved in. And we've seen that a lot this year. I mean, the year of 2020, I don't think has... Well, I know it hasn't been a good year, but I don't think it's been a good year. Talking about it's been a great year. (laughs) Yeah. But it hasn't been such a good year, I think, in terms of the way that Christians have responded. And I think a lot of it is because we just maybe didn't really know how to respond. But we've seen a lot of toxic positivity come out of the church because we didn't want to engage in conversations about racial issues or even mental health issues or political issues, other social issues that we're dealing with. And so we've just responded with toxic positivity instead. Yeah, or even I think as we we look at our churches, even like organizational issues or governance issues that are leading to a toxic culture. But then when you go to church on Sundays, everybody's smiling at you and saying, you know, good morning, God is good. When later that day, you know that there's going to be a business meeting where these people are going to be at each other's throats. And so there's this disconnect. There's this dissonance there that is, in a word, toxic. And so we we want to contribute to a culture that's more real. But the fact of the matter is the Bible does encourage us and it does even command us to be joyful, right? It does. There are plenty of verses that you could look to in Scripture that talk about the importance of having joy and having like just this positive hope in your life. And joy is actually a fruit of the Spirit. So it's it's pretty significant in terms of the Christian life and the Christian worldview and perspective of how do we engage this world and the the many traumatic things that come our way, there is this aspect of joy 
even in, I think it's James where it talks about when trials come that we should still rejoice. And obviously that feels very countercultural, but I think we take it to an extreme where it's no longer a genuine rejoicing. It's kind of like, well, I'm supposed to be happy right now, so let me figure out how to put on my mask today and make sure everyone knows that I'm happy because I'm a Christian. Right. I mean, and there are other verses that that are in there too. Like Jesus came to bless us and the word blessed in the Hebrew and in the Greek, it literally means to be happy or fortuitous. And he came that we might have life and have life to the full. And Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And so we're supposed to have joy. But I think where the, the disconnect is, is that joy and positivity are not are, the same yeah, thing. Yeah, they're not the same thing. And hope isn't the same thing as good vibes only. And that's because the Bible is not all about good vibes. If you, I know if you it, should listen to the previous podcast to this one. Yeah. There's, there's lots of blood and guts and weird stuff. Oh, yeah. Especially if you look at the way Jesus saved us. He went to a cross. It meant death. That's not good vibes. <laughs> like, yeah, bad vibes. Those are very those bad are vibes. very bad vibes. And if you read the gospel accounts of the crucifixion and the death of Jesus, that's certainly not positive vibes that you're feeling when you're reading the narrative there. But what we do see is a true, genuine sense of hope and joy that comes from the plan that God had to bring salvation to the world. And that's so much richer and deeper and substantial than good vibes only. Right. And so this kind of joy through the pain, but not ignoring the pain, leaning into it, expressing it. I think the epitome of this is when we look at the lament Psalms. And the book of Psalms in the Old Testament is basically like this ancient hymnal And it has all kinds of songs and poetry. And so there's different kinds of songs. There's like corporate worship songs that are praise songs. There are wisdom songs that are teaching you something through poetry and through music. There are individual prayers in the Psalms. But one of the major categories of Psalms, and it's more than one third of the Psalms, it's like 60 or some, some odd Psalms in the book of Psalms can be classified as lament Psalms. And lament psalms are basically sad songs. They're songs of mourning and grief. And so we we find over a third of the, the psalms in the Psalter are laments. And then we see even more laments in other books, say in Lamentations, which is just a book of laments. Or in other places, we see other lament songs and psalms. And that's because the lament psalms are very true to the human experience. And the Bible is all about being true to the human experience. It's not some lofty, up in the clouds, never attainable, never relatable book that we read. And that's kind of the whole point of Jesus becoming to us, right? Right. And him becoming human was so that we could relate to him, so that we we could see God in the flesh. And we continue to see that relatability throughout scripture. And I think that's why the lament psalms are so important. And 
that's why this idea of toxic positivity is so counter to what we see in scripture because the lament psalms actually have like a structure that they typically follow and first is lamenting which is like life sucks right now and it's really awful and I hate it and I'm miserable and I'm angry and I'm sad and why does it have to be that way like we can all relate to that yeah and they're like these psalms are like super emo about it too like like I'm in the desert with no water I'm in the the pits of the earth I'm in total darkness like it's very vivid and very poetic yeah usually it'll move on to this invocation which is like questioning God where are you like I'm in the pits of this, I'm in the dark, darkest spot of my life, and where are you, God? Like I can't see you, I don't feel you, you aren't present. But then we we always see this shift in the Lament Psalms where there's this confidence that God is good. And even if that's not what the writer is feeling in that moment, there is this confidence of the knowledge that they have of who God is because it's It's who he has always been. And so they know that he is good. And that quickly turns into this praise section of just the goodness of God. And even this petition of like, Lord, I am sitting in this darkness. Where are you? I know you are good and I know you are faithful. But those things aren't feeling like they're lining up in my life right now. And so there's this petition of, God, I just need your help. Yeah, I think where we struggle kind of in our culture is we skip the first two sections of that. It's like we skip the lament. We skip the invocation because just like we don't want to seem like ungrateful or I'm not sure what it is. I'm not sure why it is that we, we skip the lament part. We don't, we don't feel comfortable camping out there in the invocation. We just go straight to the confidence and praise and it just kind of covers over that that first part that's really in there. I think it's hard to sit there because as a Christian, you know, like you have been saved and you have now entered into this relationship with God that was absolutely impossible by your own power. And so you know that you're constantly supposed to have that in the forefront of your mind and the grace that's been extended to you and the mercy and just this lavishing of blessings from Jesus that you don't deserve. And so it feels hard to sit in the lament because it feels like you're taking for granted the gift that you've been given. And we probably have a bit of a misconception of God and our relationship with him because we don't feel comfortable sitting there. Yeah, but I think these Psalms show us that it's okay to sit in the rawness of that. Like if you just read through the Psalms, you'll see like the rawness and the reality. I mean, these, these guys don't, don't try to make it palatable for, for anybody. It's like, here it is. And there it was. Yeah. And I think sometimes people feel it's disrespectful to God. Oh, well they should read some of these. No, right. But I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to like show how, why this is so hard for us. And I think there is this matter of, I am not having an adequate fear of the Lord or I am being disrespectful to him or or whatever those thoughts can be because I think I've certainly struggled with that to some degree. Yeah. I think it's important to to note that you don't have to go through every step of that structure in like one five-minute prayer or 
one hour prayer or one day. No, it can day. take you a year. Yeah. And to I, get through, to go from lamenting to asking of God for help like in that process. It can take a long time. And I think we see that in that not every lament psalm follows this structure to a T. Mm-hmm. And perhaps the biggest example of that is Psalm 88, where Psalm 88 is a lament psalm, and it's 18 verses long. And you start getting like halfway through, three quarters of the way through, and you think like, oh, the turn is coming at some point. But you just keep reading, and the turn never comes. And so this is Psalm 88. I'll read the first two verses, and then I'll read the last three verses. So the first two verses go like this. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. So that's kind of like the most positive section because it just goes downhill from there. And then it's just really this complaint of everything that is going on in this uh, this psalm writer's life and all of the the horrible things that are happening. And then it continues on for you know 15 verses. And from verses 15 to 18, it says this. From my youth I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me my friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. And you think like, did the pages stick together? Did I miss a couple of verses there? Where's the positive vibes? End of song. That's it. Yep. And so like if that's what you're feeling and that's your prayer, there, uh, there's space for that. There's That's certainly within bounds. You know what I mean? That's, that, that's not out of bounds. Right. And you have to remember that God created humanity. And so there's nothing that you're feeling or nothing that you're going through or or even those those thoughts that you have, I mean, even just the thought of, Lord, I'm in this dark place and where are you? Sometimes that feels like that's not the Christian question. As Mm -hmm. a Christian, you shouldn't ask God, where are you? Because you know, it's you who moves away. It's never him. Like, you know, (laughs) these things, right? Yeah. It's never him who steps away. He's always there. It's you who have stepped away. And so or, you just got to bring your positive energy back and then he'll Well, you just you need to like yeah. turn back around and get it together. But that's not what we see in scripture. Like we, God allows you to, to have those moments in life. And I think it's important to know this is not like a normal everyday life experience in terms of the the lament that you just read right like if this is your everyday existence like we need to get you into some counseling we need like right antidepressants like we're yeah you're in dire straits like we we need to find find some way to help you yeah so it's it's different when you know like there are seasons of this in your life and when they come it doesn't mean that you're less spiritual doesn't mean that you're less of a christian there's actually room for this in your relationship with god And that's because God knows humans. Like he knows who humanity is and you're not going to catch him by surprise. And he's not going to be like, whoa, you're a Christian. Why are you asking me these things? I only expect this from the heathens. Like God knows your heart. And for you to be able to freely express that before him, I think we, we see examples of that, that he allows for that. And there's room for that. 
and there's space for that expression from you to your father in heaven. Yeah. So I think what's important then is that we somehow find a way to thread that needle and strike a balance between we have a very real hope and hope does not put us to shame, Paul says. Right. But that doesn't take away the pain of the moment. So we need to, I guess, kind of fully step into both sides of that and not lose sight of one or the other. And I think uh, one thing that's helpful, this is a principle that's used a lot in leadership circles, and it's called the Stockdale Paradox, named after a guy named James Stockdale. And he said this, You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. And he made that quote in the context of leadership, and, and moving a group of people forward. But I think that's a good principle for us to avoid the trap of toxic positivity, to never lose sight of hope. We cannot afford to lose sight of that, but also be willing to come face to face with the brutal facts of the current moment, regardless of what those might be. Yeah. And I think we see that balance in the life of Charles Spurgeon. He is known for this legacy of really great preaching and yet he struggled with depression until the end of his life and so you see this balance of the hope that he had in Jesus and continuing to cling to him but also never being set free of the depression that he struggled with his entire life and so there is a balance where both can exist in the life of a Christian the difficult situations, as well as the hope and and the joy of salvation in Jesus. Yeah, and we even see this biblically in a couple of New Testament examples. One, I think, is of Jesus, who he had heard about the death of his friend Lazarus, and this is the shortest memory verse in the Bible where it says that Jesus wept, but what's crazy about that is that in the next verse, like he got up and he raised Lazarus from the dead. And so Jesus knew what the outcome was going to be, that Lazarus was going to be raised from the dead, and yet he still wept. And so it's like, why would you step into that pain when you knew that a better outcome was coming and that it was going to come literally moments later? And I think it's that it's that duality of, of stepping into the pain while also stepping into hope. And another one is 1 Thessalonians 4.13. This is where Paul tells us that we don't grieve as those who have no hope. And this verse is often read at people's memorial services as we're grieving. And and we cling to that part. Like, we don't grieve as, as people who don't have hope. We can be joyful in the midst of this. What is sometimes missed in that is that we will grieve. It's not saying you won't grieve. It's just saying you won't grieve in the same way that, that people do when they have no hope. But you will grieve, and there's something good about that. Biblically, there's something good about that. And I think psychologically, everything that we know about human psychology bears that out. Certainly, and even in my own life, I mean, my mom passing away when I was 15 I have full confidence and assurance that I'm going to see her again one day. Knowing that she's saved and she's with Jesus and there will be a day when her and I will see each other again. 
But that doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean I didn't grieve that. And in, in many ways, continuing to grieve it, you know, 15 years later. But it's a different type of grieving. And I think it is important to know that one of the ways that we can battle this toxic positivity is to not be afraid to step into those negative emotions. Don't be afraid to have those difficult conversations and to just sit in the negative for a bit. To sit with someone else there and to be able to say, I don't know why this is happening. Instead of trying to put the positive spin of everything happens for a reason or God is going to work good through this. Those are not helpful words while you're dealing with something. It's okay to just sit in the anger, in the pain, in the suffering, and to sit there with God and to sit there with fellow Christians, but not try and rush out of it because it feels uncomfortable and we just need to move over to the positive good news side of things. And I think we have to especially not try to move other people off of it because that's where it's like really toxic, right? Where someone else is experiencing pain and it's, and because that makes you uncomfortable, you're trying to move them mm-hmm. off of it. Yeah. And and that's where it becomes toxic that you are in many ways shaming in someone else what is natural and good for them to experience because it makes you feel uncomfortable and you're not willing to sit in that place yourself let alone sit in it with them. Right. And there's so many examples of this. I mean, especially this year from people losing loved ones to COVID, from people losing jobs, which feel far less significant than an actual loved one passing away. But if you know someone who just lost their job because of the pandemic. And you say, well, at least you have your health. Right. At least no one you know has died from COVID or, you know what, you can always file for unemployment. It's so toxic to try and bring these peppy slogans and encouraging vibes into a conversation when someone just lost their livelihood. And I feel and like- they have no way of knowing, how do I feed my kids? How do I go home and tell my spouse about this? Like there's so many worries that pile up. And for you to say, oh, don't worry, you'll, I'm sure another opportunity is coming and it's probably even better than this one. Like, can you just be quiet, please? Can you just stop talking and be with that person? Because losing your income is not easy. And it's okay to be mad about it. It's okay to be sad about it. And you can be that way for more than a couple of hours. And that's okay. Yeah, I feel like it's actually more encouraging. Like if someone says, hey, I lost my job. And I say, well, at least you have your health, right? That's definitely not encouraging. I would want to punch someone in the face. It seems counterintuitive, but what's actually more encouraging is when someone says, I lost my job and say, wow, I'm so sorry. That sucks. I'm sure you're feeling hurt and worried and it doesn't feel like it's fair and that just shouldn't have happened to you and for whatever reason that's actually way more encouraging because you're dignifying their experience i think that is key what you just said is you're dignifying their experience instead of well you know there's other people out there that are worse off than you are like oh okay well 
I guess I need to be happy about the fact that I lost my job because at least I got other things. Right. Like, what the heck? What are you doing? <laughs> it's important that we dignify people and their experiences because if you were sitting in that experience, you don't want to hear people tell you children in Africa are starving. Like it always feels like that's a phrase people say or you know, someone else doesn't have a roof over their head or someone else doesn't have a jacket and shoes. Like, yes, those things are true, but that doesn't make your experience and that doesn't make your loss and that doesn't make your heartache any less real. Yeah. And I feel like if you're in relationship with someone, you do eventually get to the point of like, okay, well, let's, let's find a way to get encouraged here. Let's find a way to point to hope. Let's find a way to point to Jesus in the midst of that. But don't move off that first step too quickly because if you do, uh, you're doing more damage than anything. And and so if you are in relationships with someone and they already know Jesus, they already know the good news of Jesus, they probably don't need you to tell them all the things they already know. They memorize all the same Bible verses you did. What they need is for you to be present in that moment with them. And then you can be present with them in the next moment as you know, the situation evolves and their emotions evolve with it. And so I think that's one way we can combat this toxic positivity on an individual level. I think as Christians on a corporate level, I think we do have some thinking to do about how we can begin to course correct toxic positivity in our churches corporately as well. Cause our churches are structured for no bad vibes for uh, the most part. But I think one thing that, and a lot of churches do this, but our, our church does this as well, and it's a little bit harder in the season of COVID, but one thing that's that's an important part of our care ministry is that at the end of every service, every Sunday, there are people who are available to pray with you. And here's the other thing. Sometimes you come into a church service, you're feeling kind of down, and if it's uplifting and upbeat, it, it kind of lifts you, right? But then there are other times where you're at a point where you come in and the the service is upbeat and it's this positive energy and it just doesn't connect because you just weren't ready to kind of catch that wave. Um, so for for those people, it is important to have someone there to say, hey, I know this whole thing was kind of like a big party, but I, I want you to know that you are seen if you're not feeling like it's a big party this Sunday morning. We want to hear about it. We have volunteers that are trained for that that are trained in sensitivity and listening and and who are just prayer warriors, providing opportunities like that in, in corporate church settings goes a long way towards course correcting kind of this impression that you always have to be, you know, emotionally on the up and up. And I think something else in regards to Sunday morning and just the whole church structure is to not be afraid of the difficult topics from the pulpit. Don't be afraid to preach on topics that are culturally relevant and don't be afraid to preach on topics that are uncomfortable in scripture themselves that come out instead of like skipping that chunk of scripture maybe preach on it instead <laughs> even though that might be hard even... said, i don't know maybe teach the full counsel of god or something I <laughs> well i can maybe imagine <laughs> i can imagine as a preacher that you get to some sections and you're like hmm 
Oh, yeah. I think it's time to change our series. <laughs> I think it's time to think we've been here too long. One, two, skip a few. Yeah. yeah. And I am sure that's very hard, but it's in scripture and it's there for a reason. And it's probably something that your congregation needs to hear anyways. Yeah. I mean, case in point, uh, our church has been going through this series kind of surrounding everything that's going on with the presidential race and everything, all things political. And the the last couple of weeks, our, our pastor has preached these sermons that, like, there's been moments in them where I've been so uncomfortable because you. he has been, like, blasting, like, left and right and just with biblical truth. And I'm thinking, like, oh, man, this guy's going to get in trouble. Like, I, like I'm feeling uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, yeah. But— they're probably those these past two sermons have probably been my favorite two sermons of his all year. These last two sermons have genuinely challenged me. And I'm I'm usually challenged, but in these ways of just my political views and even like, oh, maybe maybe we're not getting it right. Hmm. Like maybe we we need to reflect a little bit more, even though we've been talking about these things for so long. To show up on a Sunday and to be challenged in in areas that we thought we had already sorted out is pretty humbling. Yeah. It's always good to be squirming, you know, just squirming just a little bit. Yeah. And I think, too, even like, um, is there anybody who's like a songwriter out there? Like, we need some good, like, lament songs. Like, I know there's some songs that are kind of in that space. I think of the song, I think it's by Vertical Worship, Yes, I Will, where it talks about, like, Yes, I will um, lift you high in the lowest valley. But I think even that, it misses like the first, it misses the lament part. Like the lament is implied there. Uh, I think like one true lament song song that we sing in churches, it's actually a Christmas song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Mm. It's like the only worship song that is sung in churches that's in a minor key. And it's like, you, you sing it like right at the beginning of Advent season, and it's like this real kind of like mournful kind of longing song, like written from the perspective of the people who had been waiting for hundreds of years for their Messiah to come. And as you experience that song, you're kind of brought into that sense of longing and mourning uh, and this just desire to be made whole. And the song brings you into that. And I think we need more songs like that for different kinds of emotions different aspects of life because like by and large like 98 percent of the songs we we sing or that are available to us from worship you know songwriters are like the i'm going to pull you into the experience of happy celebration and that's appropriate and even as a default that's that's good but there's just there's just so much more to the human experience i feel like we're missing yeah and i wouldn't say that is out of the thread of toxic positivity, but I think we can see it somehow working in that way sometimes. Um, yeah, I think it's just the general kind of sense, you know? Yeah. It's not like an intentional, it's not toxic that we sing happy songs. Right. It's that it's, but because of this general kind of air of positivity, sometimes that blinds us to experiencing other things. Yeah. And so I think really what we're hoping has come across is that there's certainly something happening 
And it's not only among Christians, but I think as Christians, we should be mindful of it. There is a temptation to fall into toxic positivity, whether you're unknowingly doing it or you are aware of it. <laughs> like You are aware. I just want to be positive. Like if that is the way you end up leaning in every situation, then maybe it's time to kind of look internally and wonder, am I actually being toxic because of this? Um, and if you are completely unaware, I think it's important to just reflect on some of the conversations you've had with other people. And by no means do we want Christians to beat themselves up because they feel too positive. Like that's certainly not what we're saying. <laughs> Moral of the story. If you're too happy, we don't like you. Right, yeah, that's not what we're saying. But I think as Christians, we need to be mindful of stepping into real human experiences because Jesus himself did that. He came in the flesh, like he stepped into the human experience as God. And we should not be afraid of stepping into human experiences, even if they make us uncomfortable, because that is where healing comes in. Thanks for listening to the Her and Him podcast. If you enjoyed hanging out with us, consider subscribing to the podcast to receive it automatically each week. We'd also love it if you head over to iTunes to leave us a rating and review. And be sure to come visit us at herandhim.com where you'll find show notes for this episode, our blog, and other resources to help you experience the abundant life that Jesus promised us. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Hey there, it's Carly Marcoulier, host of Therapy and Theology, a weekly podcast that explores popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.